Father, again, we come before you and we thank you for your kindness and your grace and your love towards us. We thank you that you have changed our hearts and given us a desire to be in church together, to praise you and worship you, to hear your word. And I pray as your word goes out, you would use it greatly in our hearts, that we would become more and more like your son Jesus, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of him. Lord, just commit this time to you and trust you to work through it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I already mentioned to warn younger children uh, that towards the middle of the sermon and even some portions we'll be talking about things that are not appropriate for them, especially when I define some words in the middle, but uh, just a heads up for that. But uh, we live in a society that is bombarded by images. I mean, you can't go through the checkout line without uh, seeing things that you shouldn't really look at or read a magazine or watch a commercial or walk down the street without being bombarded with uh, images or innuendo. Certainly the Internet has contributed to this bombardment. Uh, when the Super Bowl becomes an event in which you need to hold the clicker tightly before every commercial or halftime, uh, something's wrong. There's images all throughout. Our society has really been sexualized. And it is driven by sex. We see that. Certainly in Romans chapter 1, we know that the unbelieving, unregenerate society, uh, that's the same thing, by the way, uh, having rejected God is going to spiral into sexual idolatry. That's what Romans 1 says. And uh, the fulfillment of every uh, desire and hearty approval for every degenerate desire. Now, unfortunately, churches these days have become focused on meeting felt needs meaning the needs of people that are in their sin, to try to win them, to try to trick them into becoming believers in a sense, a bait and switch, come in in the world's ways and then become a Christian. Well, it doesn't work that way. And within those churches like that, worldly churches, uh, the compromise has led to a generation of doctrinally correct maybe, but hypocrites. We see that in lots of youth groups. We hear the stories of single ministries being a breeding ground for immorality and, and immature believers. And this shouldn't be so. But this problem is not isolated to the youth. Easy internet access to filth, trashy primetime cable, uh, these things feed fantasies, temptations to greatly dishonor Christ. And those with, to dishonor Christ with our minds uh, eventually leads to actions that have great consequences. But all this shouldn't be so. It shouldn't be so. Therefore, if we have been raised with Christ, how shall we now live? Well, today in our study of Colossians, and turn there, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, we're going to see that we need to put to death sexual sin. We need to put it to death. Now, uh, just a reminder of the context of the book of Colossians, Paul is uh, imprisoned in Rome under house arrest around 62 AD. And although he has never visited these believers in Colossae, he has heard of their spiritual state and threats to their faith through uh, their... Uh, beloved uh, brother Epaphras, uh, and he is, Epaphras has traveled 1,600 miles to tell Paul about that. And this is no small journey. Uh, we didn't, they didn't have planes and trains and all wheels back then. Very serious. But Epaphras has also shared with the Apostle Paul their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. They're genuine believers, but yet there were threats that had developed, threats to their faith. We see in chapter 2 that there were false teachers, bad guys, and gals maybe trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. Chapter 2, verse 4. 
And indeed, these persuasive arguments and teachings were aimed at believers who struggle with the flesh. Later on, Paul will say in the end of chapter 2 that these false ways of dealing with your flesh uh, have no value against fleshly indulgence. They're actually the opposite. They're actually you're indulging in a different way. It's interesting how people who try to stay uh, away from the flesh ended up entering into it in a different way, in a hypocritical religious way. No value. False teachers were proposing uh, a theology to deal with their flesh, and they were trying to woo these Colossians to unknowingly put their trust in these things rather than the person of Christ. Whether it's legalism, mysticism, uh, experience, uh, asceticism, uh, holding yourself down, they were attacking the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so what was Paul's solution? A Christ-centered relationship, a focus on Jesus. That's the solution, it's Jesus Christ. It's so simple and yet so ignored. It's spoken of all the time, but yet so ignored. Now in chapter 1, we've seen that Paul praised God for the changed lives of these, of these Colossians. Uh, they had a faith in the Lord and, and, a, and a love for one another. And uh, they had had hope laid up for them in heaven as revealed in the gospel of the grace of God and truth. Then in a prayer, Paul made it clear he desired these Colossians to come to the full knowledge of God's will, to be filled with the knowledge of his will, to be controlled by the full knowledge of his will, which would result in a worthy walk, a worthy walk. And then from this point, Paul springboards into amazing, an amazing discussion about the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 1, he is our redeemer, and in him we have the forgiveness of sins. And then we see that Paul makes it clear that he's the supreme Lord of the first creation. He is God the Son, the creator before all things, and all things in him, he holds them all together. Then he makes it clear that Christ is the supreme Lord of the new creation. He's the head of the body, the church. He's fully preeminent. He is fully God and fully man. And he died to reconcile in order to present us holy and blameless without reproach. He's a totally sufficient Savior. And with this absolute preeminence of Christ established, the Apostle Paul began to lay into his credentials and the way ministry should be done in light of, this is the end of chapter two, or one, in light of chapter two, the way the bad guys are doing it. And we saw that authentic ministry has God's men ministering. Paul was a suffering servant on behalf of Christ and a good steward of the word of God. We also saw that authentic ministry preaches God's message. Christ proclaimed from the word of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We also saw that authentic ministry uses God's method. So many methods out there uses, authentic ministry uses God's method, which is to proclaim Christ by his power and strength with the goal of completeness and maturity for every believer in Christ. Then in chapter 2, he began to reveal his deep concern and struggle for these Colossians and also those in that Lycos River Valley, Laodicea. He was concerned for them, and he uh, admonished them not to be deluded with persuasive arguments. They were not to be spiritually kidnapped by deceptive, worldly, man-centered wisdom that suddenly pulls us off of the sufficiency of Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They were those who were to, as therefore have received Christ, and each one of us, to walk in him. We received him by faith. We're to walk that way. And then from this point, Paul began to bring his direct warnings 
to the those who threaten the absolute sufficiency of Christ. He began to share concerning Christ that he is God in the flesh and in him we are complete. We were complete in him. And we have a complete, awesome salvation and victory over Satan and his minions. And therefore, because we are complete in Christ and we have a wonderful salvation in Christ and defeat over Satan and his minions, therefore, don't be taken captive by these bad guys. Don't let them manipulate you with these persuasive arguments. And we saw we're not to allow them to shipwreck our faith. We're not to be dependent on religious shadows, legalism, all that stuff. We're not to delight in our own religious experience. See, that happens a lot these days. And we're not to submit to religious decrees. Hey, that describes all the bad churches there. Three groups, right? Very much so. These shadows, experiences, and decrees are of no value against fleshly indulgence. If you're a true believer, you're going to mess up, you're going to be tempted, you're going to fall, and you're not going to want to. And they're going to come alongside with these systems to keep you, to help you in your fleshly indulgence. But they're not of Christ. Because it is only Christ that enables us to be delivered from those things. Jesus Christ is the Savior, not a system, not an experience, and not a shadow. Jesus Christ is the Savior. So then, how are we to be thinking? We saw uh, in chapter 3 that in light of these things, in light of the fact that we have been raised with Christ, we've died with Him, we've raised, we're united to Him, a sufficient Savior, what are we to be doing? What are we to be thinking? We're to keep our minds on the things above. We're to set our mind on the things above, not the things of earth, because we have died and our life is hidden in Christ. And when He's revealed, we're going to be revealed with Him in glory. Because of that, therefore, we need to focus on Him, because of who we are. And that's going to be the springboard for what we'll see today, because Nothing happens in the Christian life apart from setting your mind on things above, apart from focusing on Jesus, apart from relying on him and understanding who you are in him. If you don't have that, then you're not going to be able to follow what I'm going to share today. It's all connected. It's all connected. So then we're going to see that it's through his will revealed in his word in every circumstance, his word dwelling richly in us as we set our mind on those things and on him that we're able to then say no to sin. We're able to then say no to sin. Take a look at our passage here. And this is where the rubber meets the road, by the way. This is where it meets the road. Verse 5, chapter 3. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is an account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Now, you can read on because it's all connected, by the way, and we'll see that next week because it has to do with the renewed, changed mind. And we'll see that. I don't have time to share uh, 8 through 11 today or, or 12 through 15. But you want to read on and see that those portions are connected to what we're going to see today. That it's in light of a renewed mind and a heart change that is focused on things above that we are able to do what we will see today. So then, if you've been raised with Christ, what are we to do? Notice our passage says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. That's our passage today. Now with this in mind, we have this first, we have the command, but notice our passage begins with the word therefore. And he asks the word, what's it therefore, right? You don't start a sentence with, uh, therefore, I came to church. Well, the, what, what, what comes before that? There's something connected to it, right? And so here, 
we know in light of what we have seen already, in light of the fact that we are to chapter 3, uh, verses um, 1 through 4, that we are to be a certain way. Let's look back a little bit. Look back at Colossians 2.23, the end of chapter 2, and I'm going to read through this. These are matters, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom, self-made religion, self-abasement, virtue of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. All that stuff the bad guys bring, it shadows experience and holding yourself down. Hey, sounds wise, sounds like it'll work. No, it doesn't work. There's no value against fleshly indulgence. Actually, it is fleshly indulgence in doing those things, as we'll say. Then we see in verse 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, and the, and the assumption is yes, you have. If you're a believer, yes, you have. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Interesting transition, isn't it? We're going to go from this portion where it shows what, what we should be focused on, Jesus Christ and what he's done and who he is, to how to, how we should be in the proper, properly being fed and right ministry, to the bad guys, which we shouldn't be listening to, to what we should be doing, setting our mind to things above, to then how does this work out in our everyday lives? How does it work out? Now here, um, I usually prefer the NASB. It is a translation, obviously. But as we look at this command, I actually prefer the New King James, even the NIV. They do a better job translating this. And I think it renders the Greek more accurately. Now, your NASB is uh, pretty good. They're going to give you a little note here. It says, literally, put to death members which are upon the earth. Your members which are upon the members. Put to death, okay? You go, okay, well, it says something. What it says in the Greek language is, therefore, put to death. It's a command. Therefore, it's the word that means to kill. Put it to death. Kill it. Make it dead. Don't allow it to live. When something is dead, it is not alive. When something is dead, it is not alive. Put it to death. Put it to death. And it's in a tense that means just do it. Do it. And so here, if you're to put to death something, very clearly it means to stop it, to say no to it, to not allow it to live. To not allow it to live. You could put it this way. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Now, that's they're, they're saying that in light of what's been said. They're, they're translating that, thinking that's what it's going to say. But the New King James does a better job. Therefore, put to death your members which are upon the earth. And you go, wait a second, my members? That's my arms. That's my, that's my flesh. That's my members. How do I put that to death? Well, if you do not have the Spirit of God and you're not saved, then you're going to do bad things. You're going to take it literally. You're not going to see it in light of the Spirit illumining the truth. And indeed, the Lord Jesus would share in Matthew chapter 5, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better you to that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. It's better for you than one of your parts of your body perish for your whole body to go to hell. Now, we know when we study that, he's saying, it's serious. It's so serious that you need to deal with the offending part. 
But the point is, it's not the parts that do it that have the problem. It's the heart. It's the heart. And you have bad guys like the, some of these early church fathers, not early false church, early fake church, early uh, apostate church fathers like Origen, who took this literally, this command here, and castrated himself. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about take the parts that are a problem and kill them. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're going to go out and do something stupid. That's not what this passage is saying. And please don't leave here without hearing what it is saying. And so here we see that Paul is saying to deal with it, uh, to kill it off. But what does it mean? We saw in chapter 2 that the heretics taught ascetic practices to deal with the flesh, to, to deal, deal harshly with the flesh, to do whatever you need to do, cut it, take care of it, whatever it is. Is Paul saying kill your members, kill your body parts? That's what it says literally, kill the parts that dwell on the earth. Now he's making a point, first of all, this is an earthly issue. This is an issue that has to do with the fall. The parts that are still fallen, that's my, my body, that's my flesh. My flesh hasn't been redeemed. When I was saved, my soul was saved. I was created a new creation, but I still have this body of death, this flesh, which is going to be glorified. And we were given the, the spirit as a pledge of the redemption of our bodies. It's going to happen. So here is Paul saying, kill your members, kill those body parts, those parts that commit sin. Well, yes and no. And listen to me here. What does he mean by this? Put to death the members, the ones upon the earth. He's really clarifying which ones they are, by the way. He's clarifying it. He's not saying uh, the heavenly realities of who you are. We've been seated in heavenly places, right? We're, 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 we've, we have redeemed souls. He's talking about the unredeemed part. So what does he mean by this? Well, I believe he's speaking of putting to death the members that carry out these things, but, and he's going to... Now, if he's saying that, okay, uh, why doesn't he just say put to death these, a list of things? If he wasn't... So why is he saying your members? Why does he say, put to death your members, and then he gives a list, immorality, impurity, passion. Why does he just say, stop immorality, stop these things? Why does he say it this way? Why does he say, put to death your members upon the earth, and then give the list? Rather than just saying, stop that list. Why does he do that? Well, I think he's going to point out that our unredeemed flesh is the vehicle in which these sins are carried out. Our unredeemed flesh needs to be dealt with. You can stop things like the ascetics and not deal with your flesh. You can stop stuff and not deal with the problem. The problem is our unredeemed flesh. The problem is our flesh. So I believe he's saying since you've died with Christ and you've been raised with him and are hidden in God and you will be revealed with him in glory, since you share in his death to sin and life to God, since you're a new creation, set your mind on the things above, therefore kill off these sins. And what does he mean? He's using uh, what's called a metonymy. He's using, he's talking about the thing that brings it about, but the sins are what really need to be stopped. But he's making that and using that illustration to show us that it comes through the flesh. It comes through our flesh. Our flesh needs to die, as we'll see, and specifically concerning these specific actions that he's talking about. Paul is not calling for severe treatment of the body to hold it in check, to battle fleshly desires. Uh, that's useless. That's man-made religion. You may stop it, but you didn't deal with your flesh. You stopped the action, but not your flesh. What Paul is calling for is the death of everything in our lives that is contrary to godliness. 
to not allow those things to live in our lives, to address the offending parts that cause it to happen. You might remember, you could turn it to Romans chapter 8, that because of who we are in Christ, we're to be doing something. Those who are led by the Spirit are doing something. They're, they're actively killing stuff. You go, wait a second, well, that sounds terrible. Well, they are actively killing things. They're actively not letting things live. By the way, we make provision for the flesh. We put a big backpack of fleshly thoughts on it. We make provision for it. And we'll see it has to do with even anger and other things next time. But here it starts with the, the, the perversions, right? We're not to let it happen. We're not to let it live. Romans 8.10, and if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, that's your flesh, right? Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. We're alive because we have his righteousness. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. Hey, you're going to be resurrected. We're going to see it. That's what the chapter uh, uh, 8 in Romans is about. It's the answer to who will set me free from this body of death. Thanks be to God. First of all, there's no condemnation. But secondly, we're going to be glorified. Right? And Jesus is taking care of the interim by his spirit. So he says here, So then, brethren, we are under no obligation. This is what we got to learn. Not to the flesh, nor to live according to the flesh. In Christ, you no longer are obligated to yield to your flesh. When you weren't saved, that's all you did, and you had no control. Now we don't have to give it. We can kill it off, in a sense. We can say no to it, not let it live. You know, under no obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. If that's the way you live, hey, you're on your way to death. But if by the Spirit, that means living by the Spirit, that means allowing His Spirit to illumine your heart, to walk with Jesus, to abide in Him, to allow His Spirit to use the Word to help us think rightly, to change us, to sanctify us, to renew our minds. If you're living, if you're by the Spirit, you are what? Putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit. I put the deeds of the body to death by the Spirit. It's by abiding in Christ, by his word prompting me, that's not right, don't do that. And then understanding that he gives me the power to trust him to enable me not to do it, to step out. We haven't been given the power to do anything, but we've been given the power to choose. And what we choose determines what we do. If we choose Christ by his power and strength, we can be set free from sin. If we choose our flesh, we become in bondage to it. We see later on, for all being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. We're his children now. We can allow the Spirit to lead us, rather our flesh to drag us down into the pit. Therefore, our passage says, therefore, put to death. Do not let it live. The commands in the aorist tense speaks of a completed action, a moment of time. Just do it. There's no leeway for the struggle. I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. You see, when you're struggling, you've actually already given in. It's when you confess and repent and turn to the Lord that he, he, he helps you. And when you're tempted, he's faithful to deliver us from temptation. Yes, we do fall. Confess it when you fall. First John 1, 9, right? But here, there's no room for the struggle. Just die off. Kill it off. Uh, there's no leeway for the struggle. This is not a process that so many counselors will tell you. It's a process. We need to work through this so that you won't do these things. That's not the case. Put it to death. God says, put it to death. You don't need a counselor to help you with your addiction. You need a God who saves you and transforms you and then will help you 
if you're willing to obey him and put it to death. So we see here, we need to realize and put our mind on the things of Christ. We need to realize he is in us and we are in him. And thus, regarding these sexual sins, do not let them live. Don't give them life in your life, okay? Trust Jesus to enable you to say no and then to empower you. So therefore, because of your union with Christ's death to sin and life to God, put to death, mortify, kill these sins. Active voice means you're doing it. You're making the decision to say no to it. You're making the decision not to allow your members to control you in these evil manners. Put it to death. Now, we fail at times, right? We may not fail physically, but we fail in our minds. Maybe we fail physically. Confess your sin, get right with God, and keep putting things to death, right? Put it to death. We have been united to Christ, the creator, the one who holds everything together. We've got to set our mind on him. If you're not setting your mind on him, you're setting your mind on your sin and your failure, and you're never going to get out of it because it's too big. You set your mind on him, you get in the word of God, you read the truth, you allow him to renew your mind. We're going to see later on, we need to have the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. He's the creator, he's before all things, he holds all things together, he's the head of the body, he's the redeemer, he's preeminent, he's fully God and man, he died to present us holy and blameless, and he is in you, and we are complete, and in him we have a complete salvation. That's what I need to set my mind on. Not set my mind on the struggle, set my mind on the one who will deliver me from that struggle, and is able, fully capable. If you don't think God can deliver you, then you don't believe who he is. He's God. You see, bad people want to substitute man's wisdom. You, Christ and him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is God, and in him you are complete. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean we're not going to have issues. Paul clearly shared it in Romans 7. I do the things I don't want to do. He's not justifying it, because in Romans 6, so we continue to sin, but the grace of God never, never be. Not justifying, he's just saying this is the struggle. So who will set me free from this body of death, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is your only hope to put sin to death, is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's your only hope. Through the power of the indwelling Christ, say no. Kill it off or it'll kill you. Kill it off or it'll kill you. So then now at this point, give the specifics of it. It says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And back to our list here, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And if we look at this list here, there are two specific areas of sexual sin. One is the outward manifestation, and the other one is the inward heart condition. Two specific areas as we look at this list. A very specific list, by the way, of what to kill, to not allow live in our members. To not allow live. The first one here uh, is one of the outward manifestations that we're to put to death. Paul begins the word immorality. Immorality. We can't understand that. You think of immoral. What's immoral? Well, the, the world says nothing's immoral these days. You're immoral because you like morality. <laughs> That's what they say, right? No, but nothing's immoral in their eyes. But here we see it's God's view, not ours, that makes that matters. The term immorality comes from the Greek word porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. It spoke of the hireable one. It spoke of a prostitute initially. 
It eventually came to signify any type of sexual activity apart from marriage. Premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, pornography, uh, anything outside of God's given gift of marriage. Anything outside of it. Satan now, we see, always distorts, twists, and destroys what God has created for good. He always takes what God has created for good. Let's remember that God created sex, not Satan. God did. And it is within the marriage relationship that it is sanctified, it is holy, and it is honorable. And God even applauds in his word husbands and wives as they engage in such. He even applauds that. There's no stuffy Puritan view of this in the context of marriage in the scriptures. Just read Song of Solomon, verse chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, the Lord, this is God speaking to Solomon and his bride, eat, friends, drink, and buy deeply, O lovers. That's God saying that. Indeed, Paul gives some commands on the issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can turn it to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. God actually gives commands. He gives commands. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again. That's the context, we just read it lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this by way of concession is not a command. Paul's not speaking, or what Paul is speaking of here is, is, is the relationship in the context of a loving, willing context. Okay, that's what he's talking about. And we know that sex within marriage is honorable and is to be undefiled. Hebrews 13, 4, let the marriage bed be found in, or be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed that's be undefiled. Let it be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. So then, in light of our union with Christ and our future glory, our all-sufficient Savior, setting our mind on the things above, kill off the first thing, immorality. Say no to yourself. Say no. Do not let your members live in that context, today, no, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are united to Christ. You have all the power of the living God to say no if you trust the Lord. Now, it's the word working in our lives that helps us do so. It's the word illumining the truth of what we're pretend, what we're potentially thinking about doing. It's the word illumining the consequences of what we're potentially thinking about doing. It's the word that helps us see what is holy and what is not. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul makes this case that based on instruction in the Word of God, this is what you ought to be doing. Based on instruction. instruction. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you by the, exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction on how you are to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Hey, You've received instruction on how to walk right. Now I'm going to give you some more instruction. For you know the commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now he gave those commands when they were only two weeks old in the faith. And they heard it. For this is the will of God. This is God's desire, your sanctification. That means to be set apart from sin. 
Then he goes here specifically in a specific area. That is that you abstain. That means to stop. That means to stay away from sexual immorality. That's our word. It's actually translated sexual immorality. It's the word, same word, porneia. For this, it says that each one of you know, now here's instruction. Here's biblical instruction to help us. That each one of you know how to possess his own vessel. That's the, the body. That's your parts, right? That's your, 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 your flesh. Know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Here's some consequences. And that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as he also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So here we are to abstain. This is God's will for you now. By the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, stop doing it. Men, stop lusting at scantily clad women. Stop looking at pornography over the Internet. Stop watching the tempting TV programs. Women, stop lusting in the soap operas and steamy romance novels and fantasizing how much better it be with someone else than your husband. Stop! Stop! By the power of the Holy Spirit, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. We all know that when we are tempted with things, and we all are, you say you're not, you're wrong. <laughs> you're deceiving yourself because that temptation is right around the corner. You're, then you are ripe for the evil one to come get you. You say, oh, I'm not talking about that. Well, sorry, we all are, right? The temptations are common to man, right? But God's faithful. First Peter chapter 1, Paul sa- or Peter says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts, the way you lived, your desires, which were yours in ignorance. You didn't realize it was, it brings eternal death. It brings us wrath. You didn't realize it. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because as it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. And 1 Peter 2.11, beloved, beloved, you're loved by the way, you're loved by the Lord, loved by your brothers and sisters, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, hey, this isn't your, your, your home, to abstain, that means to stay away from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. You know, once you start to get in those lust areas, you've got a war battle, a battle going on, it's a horrible battle. You need to say no, you need to kill it off, you need to kill it off. Now, it was probably much more difficult for these Gentiles who previously were immersed in illicit sex. Uh, we're getting there now. Our country's getting there, by the way. Uh, the temptations were immense, but yet they are to abstain from sexual immorality. That is, sexual contact apart from marriage. Okay? That's what it's talking about. So how do I abstain? How do I do it? Well, first of all, remember, it's God's will for you. So all the power in heaven is on your side if you do want to obey. If you do want to obey, you are in Christ. Now, it sounds great, but how do I do it, practically speaking? Well, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, Colossians 2, 6, so walk in him. When you believed and got saved, you believed everything God said in the gospel. You trusted in him completely. You didn't partially trust Jesus for salvation or you wouldn't be saved. You trusted in him completely. So you take his word now that applies to your circumstances and you believe it completely. And you trust in him completely. And he is faithful. He is faithful to deliver us. We are 
in union with him, and he is a complete savior. We need to go to him. It doesn't mean we don't fail. We do trip up, but we should be tripping up less. We're going more and more like Jesus, right? More and more like Jesus. Receiving biblical instruction on the heart level and believing it and then trusting Jesus is what we need to do. you got an area you struggle, get in the Word of God and fill your heart with it. Fill your heart with it. Let it dwell richly, not poorly. You see, we saw this in the Thessalonians, their example. They received instruction on how they ought to walk and please God. And what was that instruction? The new commandments there, the commands they had given, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And why? You're defrauding. It's not God's will. You're, God is the avenger of this. Uh, don't do it. There's, there's consequences. Got to remember that. It's so easy to sin. We don't think about the consequences. So easy. We don't think. We got to think about it. I think about it. Everything stems from our thought life. And we're going to see as the next passage in our passage talks about renewing the mind. We are to not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we might prove what God's will. What's his will? Sanctification, right? To not be involved in this stuff, right? To not do it. Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Now, temptations are powerful, and God is a good God. He understands. He's a faithful high priest, tempted in all things, yet without sin. Go to Jesus. That's your solution. Jesus personally, with his word working in your heart. If you go to him, your word's not in your heart. You're not listening. It's like going to someone and then putting earmuffs on. <laughs> you go to someone for, for help and say, I'd like your advice, put earmuffs on. They're talking to me here, right? Go to the Lord Jesus, but be in his word. Let him talk to you. Let him tell you from his word by his spirit what he wants for you. Go to Jesus. We need to be ever mindful of the consequences, as we'll see later on. Defrauding one's brother or sister, uh, uh, sinning against God, terrible. God's the avenger of these things. Rejecting his spirit whom he's given to us, in a sense. Rejecting the power and the life that we could have if we trusted in Christ rather than going our own way. So back in our passage, we have, therefore, you kill off this, uh, first of all, immorality. Now, secondly, notice the word, back in our passage, impurity. He's going to give us some different words. Now, impurity spoke of, the word spoke of uncleanness. It spoke of worthless material, waste, of decayed uh, flesh in the grave. It spoke of uh, ceremonial uncleanness, defilement. It's impure, yuck, right? It came to speak of perverted forms of sex, homosexuality, child molestation, kinky sex, trans stuff. It speaks of that, impurity, impurity. We see this very clearly in the book of Romans, that impurity has to do with this weird, bad, evil stuff. Turn to Romans chapter 1. So you got immorality, that's actually the act of, uh, uh, of sexual contact without your spouse, in a, in a, anything other than that, right? And you have impurity, this is the weird, wicked, evil stuff. We'll see even more of that in a minute. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them. Now, in the context of Romans, uh, man suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, and God uh, gave them over. He gave them over. You, you suppress the truth of a living God, you don't give him glory or thanks, you don't turn to him for salvation, then he gives you over. And it says here, therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to, excuse me, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to what? Impurity. 
And he's going to talk about one specific type of impurity here. And I mentioned it earlier, that their bodies might be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped to serve the creation, the creation, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function, which is unnatural. In the same way, their men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned their own desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. That's impurity. That's impurity. And man, our country says, hey, it's good. You got the impure flag. It should be a flag saying, uh, because of this flag at the White House, we now know that God will no longer flood the earth. No, it's the gay flag. It's the rainbow. The rainbow is God's symbol that he's no longer going to flood the entire earth in judgment, right? But they perverted it. And you see that all throughout, everywhere. It's all throughout. It's is proliferating on the Internet. It, man has given over this. You see it over and over again. It's becoming a mainstay, this impurity. Men with men, women with women. Kill it off. Kill it off. Don't let it live. Don't let any temptation, don't let anything live. Don't let it live. Don't let it live. Immorality, impurity. Now, at this point, those are the external realities of sexual sins. You're going to go to the internal realities, I believe. You talk about what's going on, on the inside. Remember, the Lord Jesus shared in Matthew 15 that the things from that proceed out of the mouth, verse 18, come from the heart. And those are what defile a man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault, and the slander. It comes from the heart. It's from the heart. Therefore, your heart needs to be dealt with. Therefore, you've got to renew your mind. Therefore, you've got to be in the Word. Therefore, you've got to set your mind on things above. It's a heart issue. So the next one, kill off immorality, impurity. The next one is passion. Oh, we think passion is great. Well, passion for the Lord's great, but it can be misguided too. It can be overzealous without knowledge. Here, passion is from the Greek word pathos, and here it speaks of an uncontained and uncontrolled sexual passion. It's the lust on the inside that is uncontained. Someone may never act on anything, but it's uncontained on the inside. It's that passion and drive to to think about certain things that are dishonoring, that are impure, that are immoral. By, and it can be awakened by simply glancing at someone dressed immodestly, not saying, you know, it's their fault, it's your fault. But women, be aware. Be modest in your what you wear. It can be uh, awakened in women who struggle with lust in different forms, with romance, uh, with not with their spouse, soap operas, evening TV, whatever they might be. you got to be careful. And we are not to live this way as believers. We're not to live this way. First Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, as you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion as the Gentiles who do not know God. That's just what's going on in those who don't know the Lord. It's a driven sexual passion. It's just driving non-believers. It's driving the Internet right now. And guess what? It, whether you admit it or not, whether you entered into it or not, this is the way we used to live, and we are all tempted now, even as believers, to think that way. If you say you're not, then you're lying, by the way, or you're deceived. We are all tempted at times in different ways. It comes in different different forms, but it's all the same. 
Ephesians 2.3, among them too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We live that way. We live that way. But God says, kill it. Don't let it live. Don't give it life in your mind. Don't give it life. Say no to it. Trust the Lord. Don't give it life. Don't give it life. Kill it off. Now, Paul continues with the internal issues. He says, evil desires. Evil desires. The term evil desire spoke of a mental uncleanness. Spoke of evil lust. It's lust. It's an evil desire. Something that you desire that is evil and, and in terms of what God says is good and evil. Kill it off. Stop it. Don't let it live. Don't let it live. You are united to Christ and all the power of the living God is on your side to say no. Kill it off. Stop by the power of the Holy Spirit. Kill it off. Allow his word to dwell with you. Set your mind on the things above, not the junk on earth. Right? Not that junk. Get your mind out of that stuff. Get it out of your mind. Kill it and separate from it. By the power of the Holy Spirit and your Christ, who is your very life, say no. Don't let it live. And lastly in our list, it says covetousness or, or, or greed, actually. NASB greed, New King James, covetousness. Therefore, consider the members of every body as dead or kill off to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed. Now, what is covetousness or greed and what does it have to do with sexual sin? Everything. Everything. Covetousness is the desire to own or possess more than one's share more than what God has given you. Thus to possess what is not mine. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. That's not your wife. It's the desire to possess something that is not yours. It's covetousness. And here we see that covetousness amounts to idolatry. Or you could say literally in this text it says, covetousness which is idolatry. Covetousness which is idolatry. Kill it off. Those thoughts come cruising through your head. Kill them off. Say no to them. Renew your mind in the truth. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the word dwell richly. Don't let the thoughts live. Don't let them live. Kill them. Kill them. It's that, it's that drastic. Kill them. Do not let them live. I, I dare say we let too much live in our minds at times. Don't let it live. It's the truth of God that should be running alive in our hearts and minds, right? We all know we fail. We all know we don't, we're not perfect. We're not going to be there, but this is what we are to do. And if we fail, we confess quickly. And we trust the Lord when we're tempted. We're all going to be tempted. Sometimes temptation, well, not all the time temptation is not sin, but when you give into it, it, it when lust is conceived, it gives forth birth to sin, right? Kill it off. Say no by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a command for all of us. Set your mind to things above, not the things of earth. If I'm setting my mind on this stuff, I'm certainly not setting my mind on the Lord. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. You can't do both, right? Set your mind on the things above. And guess what? You'll have peace versus temporal pleasure and then pain. Temporal pleasure, pain, or peace and joy, right? Now, to strengthen his argument, he's going to explain some of the consequences. That's what we need to hear. We need to be taught. It just, you just can't go out and sin willy-nilly. There are consequences. Verse 6, for it is on account of these things 
the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. For, it's talking about the reasons why. This is why you should kill it off. This is why you should kill it off. Because of these things, the wrath of God will come. Sin brings the wrath of God. Now what's the term wrath? Here it's the word, Greek word orgate. Speaks of anger, wrath, indignation. It's not a heavenly tirade. It's God's right and just reaction to sin and evil. Sin brings God's wrath. It brings his wrath. Now in scripture we see God's wrath is towards sin and sinners. It is not towards believers. God's wrath was taken care of at the cross. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross and God is satisfied with his sacrifice on our behalf. He is no longer angry with us. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, but his wrath is not upon us. But his wrath is upon sin and sinners. And it's on account of these very things that you're fiddling around with in your head that we're all tempted to that people are going to go to hell. We gotta think, I gotta think bigger than the sin. I gotta see it. The sin is here. I gotta see the whole picture. I gotta see it from God's perspective. Rather than somebody giving you a system of how to do it. You'll be fine in your sin if you just go and, and, and have an experience with the, with God. No. You're gonna find your sin if you follow the shadows and do all this stuff. No. You'll be fine with God if you hold yourself down. No. It's through Christ. It's through Christ. So then what's the wrath of God? His wrath, anger, indignation here, it's towards sin and sinners. And it's in the present and in the future. It's in the present and in the future. In Romans chapter 1, we see that God's wrath um, is upon uh, all who have rejected uh, the truth that he has revealed in nature about himself. His wrath is upon it. Romans 1 Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, this is Romans 1, his eternal power, divine nature have clearly been seen, have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made, so that they're without excuse. And then he goes on saying, but they didn't, they didn't honor him. And his wrath is to let you go your own way in your sin, to give you over to it. Okay, If you're not a believer, you're under God's wrath right now, personally. John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides, present tense, upon him. If you're not saved, God's anger is abiding on you right now because of sin. Because of sin. And it's clear uh, that... We are also, as, as when we were not saved and non-believers, are storing up future wrath. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, speaking of those who have a religious uh, thinking they know the Lord, but they're not saved, the Jews, because of the stubbornness and unrepentant of your heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. You're storing it up. It's building up. For the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So God's wrath's upon us for sin right now, and there's a future wrath to come. Now that future wrath to come has two different facets, as we'll see. But by God's grace, um, as before we get to that, we're going to see in Scripture, and we see that Jesus Christ delivers us from the wrath to come. The only way to be delivered from God's anger towards sin, which he's angry enough to put you in hell, righteously, is to be saved by Jesus. 
Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, now having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You see, you're saved from God's wrath for sin because Jesus took care of it. The Thessalonians, they were waiting for Jesus, Son from heaven, who raised, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The only way to be delivered from God's anger is to have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And you'll be delivered, and God will not be angry at you. He may get grieved when you fail, but he's not angry. He loves you. He loves you. First Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath. We're not destined for that. The wrath to come is not for believers, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are delivered from the wrath of God when you believe in Jesus Christ. Believe today, because this wrath is coming for sin. And now for us as believers, we're to kill off these things because these very things that we're entertaining bring God's wrath. You see? Now, it's an account of these things that God's wrath will come. Ephesians chapter 5 um, talks about to let no one deceive you with with empty words, because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. It talks about immorality and other things. Don't be deceived. Because of sin, God's wrath will come. We know from our passage very clearly, for it is on account of these things, verse 6, the wrath of God will come. It's not, it's not may come, will come. God's anger towards sin and sinners is coming, and we need to be rescued from it, and Jesus Christ rescues us. Now, there's two aspects of this wrath before, and we'll close here with this. Two aspects, one personal, one corporate. You see, for every person, you will stand before the Lord Jesus um, if you're not saved, and you'll stand before in judgment. Acts 17.30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere they should repent, because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Inasmuch as his appointed man wants to die and then to judge it. Don't ever this people, you see this stuff on the internet? They died and they saw heaven for a few minutes. No, they didn't. It's appointed once to die. They died and they saw a demonic vision, okay? Um, they, you don't die, you die once. Everything might have stopped, but you didn't die. It wasn't separated. It is once to die and then the judgment. It comes judgment. He who believes in him is not judged. John 3.18. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. God's wrath is coming upon us individually for our sins, and whoever has not trusted in Christ will be thrown in the lake of fire. It's also coming upon this world corporately. I don't have time to read all this, but I'm going to read a little bit here. Let's go to Isaiah 13. His wrath's coming. You say, well, not you say, but people say, oh, how could a good God let all this evil happen to these children? How could all this evil happen? Well, first of all, he's a good God that he hasn't taken you away because of your sin and brought you to punishment. He's a patient, not willing for any to perish. He's patient. He's waiting for you to repent. But his wrath will come. The bad guys say it never comes. It will come. It will come. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Wail for the day the Lord is near. It will come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them, 
They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look upon one another in, in astonishment. Their faces aflame. Behold. Don't, don't miss that. Their faces aflame. That's this. Uh, behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Cruel fury and burning anger. This is his wrath. To make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it. This is God's eviction plan. Man, when he is done with man and they have not trusted in Christ and their time is up, he's going to evict them in judgment and start a new heavens. He'll have a new heavens and new earth, but before that, he'll evict them and we'll have the millennium. Okay? He'll exterminate sinners and sinners from it. From the star, stars in the heaven, their constellation will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Thus, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity, I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. This is the wrath of God will come. Zephaniah 1.14, I'll read part of this. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, as a warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation. He goes on. God will pour out his wrath. Revelation uh, 19, he will tread the winepress of his fierce anger. Christ will come and deal with his enemies. Jude one fifteen to execute judgment, the Lord's going to come. Upon all and convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, of all the harsh things of which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude one fifteen. His wrath is coming. So we need to realize, when I'm tempted to think of this stuff, this is what puts sinners in hell. This is what makes God angry. He's angry enough to put them in hell. i got to think the full thing through. got to think the full thing through, right? I need that. We do still fail, but I need to think it through, right? I need to think it through. And notice, back in our passage, let's finish up verse 7. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. You were just like them. You lived in it. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2. We formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of flesh and mind, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4, by his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Right? We used to be that way, and we were identified by our sin. You know what? When these guys and all their transgender stuff, they want to identify themselves by their sin. That's the way it is. God identifies people by their sin. First Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. That's uh, adulterers. By the way, that's uh, immoral, right? Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Effeminate means soft. It's men who are soft, right? We see that these days, right? It's what, we, what we're seeing, right? Effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then look at this. And such some of you were. Yes, you may be whatever that is. You may be a homosexual, transgender, whatever it is. You come to Jesus Christ and you are saved. And you are saved. And you're washed. And you're cleansed. And God's wrath has been removed from you because it was poured out on Jesus on the cross for your sins. In them we once also walked in living. So my forgiveness ought to drive me not to sin. I ought to think about this. I used to live that way and Jesus has forgiven me. I used to be like them on their way to hell. 
I need to think that way. I need to instruct my mind with the truth of God and then trust the God of the truth and say no. Kill it off. Now we're going to see it doesn't have just to do with sexual sin later. We're going to see it has to do with anger. It has to do with unforgiveness. It has to do with attitudes towards people. We're going to see that too. You think, oh, I don't do those things. Well, we're getting to the stuff we do, right? Right? Our former lifestyle apart from Christ is not consistent with our new life in Christ. Let that help you see things rightly. The Lord's faithful. Go to him. Go to him. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted, now being built up and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you've been made complete. And he has taken it out of the way, speaking of our sin, having nailed it to the cross. Set your mind on the things above and say no to these things below. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. We need it so desperately. We all have failed. We all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And yet you have saved us by the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, when we are tempted to dishonor you and to think and act the way we used to act, Lord God, deliver us. Deliver us from temptation, Lord. Help us to be instructed. Help us to trust you. Help us to allow you to deliver us personally, Lord Jesus. We need you desperately, Lord God. We need you, and we trust you to help us. Lord God, I pray for anyone here, uh, first of all, who's not saved, who's living in these things. May they be delivered from the wrath to come. Save them, Lord Jesus. May they call upon you for salvation. Save me, Lord Jesus, from your wrath. I deserve it but I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. And Father, for those of us who've been saved, may we know what we've been saved from and may we stay away from it. Lord, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.